This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how a founder bootstrapped a successful IP geolocation SaaS, starting from a side hustle to now growing over 50% year over year. So today we have our guest, Ben Dowling, joining us. Ben is the founder and CEO of ipinfo.io and host.io, a reliable in-depth source of IP addresses, data handling roughly 20 billion API requests per month for 100,000 businesses and developers. Ben was the former CTO at com.com, worked at Facebook as a software engineer, as well as various other startups across the UK. So welcome, Ben. Super excited to have you on SaaS District Show today. Thanks, Akira. Excited to be here. So we always like to start off, love to hear a little bit about your background, just kind of quick uh, background. What have been your, you know, your past ventures, entrepreneurial journey, including, I, I think you found a company called Geonium. Yep, Geomium, that's right. Uh, that was back in London, back in, uh, I guess it would have been 2009. Uh, that's my, what, sorry, I previously, I worked at a startup before then, you know, as an employee, I, was, I think it was the second hire there. Uh, enjoyed that a lot. Um, you know, it would have been, was it 25 at the time, you know, just threw myself into, into the startup life, you know, working every hour that I was awake, working weekends, um, you know, learning a bunch, it was growing rapidly. Uh, and enjoyed it, but thought, hey, you know, I'm 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 an employee here. Uh, I'm I'm spending all my time on it. You know, I was the sort of leading the tech team there at the time, and thought, hey, how hard could it be? I could just do this myself, you know, and, and sort of thought I'd love to do my own startup at some point. And um, met someone who had had a bunch of ideas for a first startup in uh, your know, mobile phone location based space, and that was you know, at the time, I think maybe maybe it was the iPhone three or something around then, right? And so I've been been doing some some mobile apps on the side, and thought, hey, this would be fun. And uh, had a had a three month old baby at the time. You know, I was, I was living in a flat in London, and I was like, "Hey, do you think I should should go go do a startup? It seems kind of crazy." But my wife was super supportive. It was like, "You should just do it, right? You're going to regret it if you don't." Uh, just just kind of take the leap. Uh, and so I took the leap, and I worked on Jeremy for maybe it's almost twelve months. You raised a, a very small amount of of seed money. Uh, you know, enough for us to kind of sort of pay the rent for six months. Um, launched a mobile app. Got a bunch of good reviews. Got some early traction. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we never found any sort of business model for it. We never, you know, we never got to a sort of breakout level of traction for, for consumer startups. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And I learned, learned a lot through that process. Um, 
but you know, it's when we ran out of the seed money and you know, it was when the, the, the credit card debt was racking up, but it was, you know, it was, it was, then it's like, okay, well, like, I've got to go, uh, you know, find some consulting gigs or see what I can do. And then I ended up uh, at Lightbox, which was a uh, venture backed uh, mobile startup in London at the time. And we started working on a photo sharing app for Android. This is at the time that uh, Instagram was you know, really cool. It was iPhone only. Um, and there weren't many good apps on Android at the time. And so mm-hmm. we were working on a great photo sharing app. Uh, there was, you know, I mean, there were a few, a few photo sharing apps, but nothing that was sort of anywhere near as good as, as Instagram. And so based on the, I think basically the pent up demand for Instagram that didn't exist on Android, I think we got, you know, 3 million downloads within a few months through you know, the, the top uh, Android app in the, uh, in the Play Store for a while. Um, and we, we weren't too worried about Instagram launching on Android because you know, a few other big popular iPhone apps had launched Android and things would crash. And, you know, we thought, hey, we've got the Android expertise. You know, we've, we've got you know, a head start. Even if Instagram does launch on Android, I'm sure it'll be buggy and it won't work. And, you know, maybe that, that kind of cements our position as the number one photo app on Android. Um, and then Instagram launched and it was, it was better than our app. And, you know, they, they, and so we were like, okay, you know, this is, this is, this is not what we wanted. Well, I mean, a, a really fun lesson I learned from that was that we'd spent months and months perfecting. Uh, so on Android, when you, you know, rotate it from portrait to landscape, I don't know if it's the same today, the app would just get restarted, right? So it just doesn't re-render it, it sort of re- restarts the app. And when you're doing photo processing, you know, you've got a bunch of stuff in memory. And so it's really tricky for us to rotate, you know, to, yeah, do a bunch of code handling. Okay, you rotate the phone from landscape to portrait. At the time, a lot of Android apps, if you rotate them, they would they would crash, you know, and, and all the photo apps would, mm. uh, because that was really tricky. And we we totally nailed it. You know, the, the Android team at, at Lightbox had really nailed this, spent months on it, and we had it, and we were so proud of this. You could rotate from portrait to landscape, and it wouldn't crash. Uh, and so, any time a new app launch, we tested. We like, yeah, it crashes. You know, these guys haven't solved this problem. And as soon as Instagram launched, we tested it. We we put it into landscape mode. We waited for the crash, and they made it a portrait only app. And so, like, they just bypassed this whole problem. Uh, you know, it, it didn't crash, but it didn't go in landscape, but, but who cared, right? I thought that really was a big lesson for me that, you know, actually the users of the app don't care, right? They don't, they don't care if it's a landscape app. They don't care if it's portrait. They just want their app to work. And, you know, you can make this five-minute decision like, hey, we only support portrait mode, like job done, right? Uh, whereas we'd mm. spent, you know, months figuring out all these really difficult technical details on how to make sure it, it works in landscape mode. We're really proud of that, and there's some some good work around it. But you know, in the end, it didn't didn't help us build the best app, right? And that's that's time that could have been spent making the product better elsewhere. So that was fun lesson learned there. Uh, and then the whole team we we went up at, at Facebook, and so I moved out from the UK then to the Bay Area, um, and that was cool. So the we had to wait for our H1B visas, and so you know, I managed to take a few months off and and did some traveling around Italy with my wife and and your know, young daughter at the time. Uh, then we moved to the US. And I was at Facebook for a couple of years as a software engineer. I sort of shifted. A bunch of the team went to work on the photos at Facebook and some went to work on Instagram um, because around that same time, they, they were acquired by Facebook. And so some of the guys that were working at Lightbox went to work on Instagram. I sort of changed track and uh, stuff on the ads integrity team. And so that was a lot of fun learning about all the sort of scammy ads on Facebook and you know, all, the, all the shady corners of the internet, you know, the diet pill scams and you know, all these weird things. Learning a lot about those, learning how to, how we can stop them, how we can automatically detect them. Uh, you know, having kind of clean up some of the ad ecosystem and Facebook. I had a lot of fun with that, and and, and a lot of that was really interesting. Uh, and then left Facebook to be CTO at Calm for a couple of years. And so I, I you know, I knew Alex, the founder of Calm. We were friends in London. We did a few side projects together, uh, little ones. 
um, and we stayed in touch. He moved to America a few years before me. Um, he had a full-time role and then he'd been working on Karma as a side project. And in those few months where I'd been you know, traveling around Italy before we got to move, get the US visa and move to the US, I did some contracting work for him on Calm and build out some of the, some of the synchronous meditation features and some, some bits for the site. And we stayed in touch. And you know, after a couple of years at Facebook, uh, I was thinking about what kind of thing I could do next. And you know, Calm was, it was still very, very early at that point. You know, it had uh, next to no revenue. It had an app that would crash all the time. It had these mm-hmm. super passionate users that, you know, despite the fact that, that the app was a, you know, uh, not a very smooth experience, Lots of users that would send email in and say, "Hey, look, you know this app's changed my life. Um, you know, I'm sleeping better." You know, people say, "Hey, you know, this has saved my marriage." People saying, "Hey, you know, this is um, you know I've, I'm, I'm off drugs because of this." And obviously, wasn't everybody's story. Lots of people were frustrated with the app, but the fact that it could have you know could have this effect in some people's life, um, I thought was pretty incredible. And so, you know, and it's clear that the with, with with an app that didn't crash all the time, that you know actually solved some of these issues, the impact could be much much more profound. Uh, and so yeah, then I then I joined Karma CTO. I was there for a couple of years. Um, you know, during that period, went from hundreds of thousands to you know tens of millions in revenue. Um, you know, grew really really fast. That was a really fun time. Um, but you know, during this time, I've been been working on IPM as a side project. And so you know, at some point, it got to the point where uh, it was just demand, you know IPM was demanding more and more of my time. And you know, decided to at, at that point to say, hey, look, you know, I want to go focus on IPM full time at this point and, and see what I can make of it. Cool. Cool. So I want to dig dig that dig down into a couple of points there. So you know, you started off uh you know Geonium, that was kind of a project you co-founded. Then you went, you know, you have you have a baby, you've got to feed, you know, change diapers, pay pay the bills. Yeah. Obviously you went back, got a job, right? Lead engineer at Lightbox, they got acquired by Facebook. Now you're working as a software engineer. Um, so you made that transition from working as an entrepreneur, which is kind of your dream and, and kind of what you're hoping for, deciding to go back to the workforce. What was that kind of uh, you know, experience like for you? Did you feel defeated? Did you feel lost? Or were you like, okay, I'm just going to do this for a little bit and I'm going to try something new all over again. Uh, and you knew that you had to come back. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think the, the uh, a bit of both, I think, you know, I, uh, you know, I certainly didn't go from like doing Jomium and then go back to, you know, like a, a corporate soul sucking job, right? Where it's, you know, mm. I, like Lightbox was really exciting, really dynamic. You were doing a lot of fun stuff. We had a really great team. And so I, I, I love working there. It definitely did feel a bit like a defeat though. You know, at the point where I, you know, I committed to like, Hey, I'm going to go do a startup. Um, you know, while doing it for myself at Jeremy and working for myself, you know, I, I just loved the, the freedom, the flexibility. You know, I was working remotely, working from coffee shops, you know, working from the library, um, you know, had my own schedule, you know, so I got to spend time with, with my wife and daughter and then would work, you know, all through the night or whatever. Um, and so I, I loved that sort of freedom and the, you know, hey, I'm only sort of really accountable to myself here. Um, you know, there's, and, and really enjoyed that. And so when I then had to, to go and get a job, there were some of those elements that um, that I lost, but then when going to do IPinfo full time, I was able to recapture some of those, right? And so, what, you know, IPinfo we've been fully remote, you know, fully distributed team from the start. Um, you know, I guess most companies are now during COVID, but you know, the, the that was that was intentional, and that wasn't you know, that wasn't hey, this is the best way to start a company. I think there are lots of arguments for it being a great way to start a company, but for me, it's just like hey, this is um, this is you know how I want to operate, right? Like I don't want to have to go into mm. office every day. I want to be able to hire anybody from around the world and, and have them, you know, operate on whatever kind of time schedule they want or, you know, with whatever flexibility they want. And so, um, yeah, it was kind of, there, there were 
elements. You know, I, I was really lucky to land a, a great job at Lightbox and work on an exciting project. But it was definitely in some ways it felt like uh, you know, at the start of the gym, I'm like, wow, this is it. I'm never going to work for anybody ever again, right? I'm just, you know, now I'm an entrepreneur. I'm, I'm, I get to do whatever I want. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a step back um, and, and took some adjustment in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. But it was also, you know, it was also a great, really fun project that I was able to throw myself into as well. So that was, that was great. Mm. And can you, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, when you decided to start IP Info, uh, you know, came back to the entrepreneurial field, started building this on the side. What was that process of, you know, uh, the idea, idea stage where what, what was the opportunity and problem you were looking to solve in the market that you saw clearly needed a solution? Yeah, so so I, I didn't at all. So so the, the you know it started as a you know and so I've always been interested in just you know working on side projects. You know, just some for just you know engineering curiosity. Like, is this something I could build? Is this something I could ship? Some more um, yeah, you know, problem focused. This is a, a problem the user's going to have. With IPO, it was to help me with some of my other side projects. And so you know, I've been using mm-hmm. geolocation data in a bunch of projects, uh, setting some up. And it was just a hassle. You'd have to download some data files, upload it to a server. They would get outdated and you'd have to update them. And so by the time I did this, you know, the fourth or five, fifth time, you know, over a period of, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was a couple of years, uh, I just thought, oh, I don't have to do this again, right? And so why don't I just do this on one server, wrap it in a simple API. It'd be really useful for me. Save me having to do this. You know, I can just do this properly once this weekend and then I kind of never have to do it again. Uh, probably be useful for other people. I never necessarily thought of it as, hey, you know, there's there's a business here or a market opportunity. It's just like this would be really useful for me. There'll be other people that probably find it useful, and you know, went and posted about it on Stack Overflow. as like, hey, you know, fellow developers, right? Here's a much easier way to kind of get geolocation data. It's a free API. You know, there was no paid plans initially. It was completely free. You know, I think it was on a five dollar a month server, and so it's you know, hey, I'm I'm using it. Could be useful for you. Go and use it. Uh, but very very quickly, it started getting a lot of traction. Um, I think I remember I was getting the, the the bus to work, and you know I got a text message or something saying, "Hey, yeah, there's an issue with the server. Uh, you know, the CPU is pegged or something." And I thought, oh, you know, I don't know if I've written a bug or you know something's gone wrong." Uh, and connect into the server, and I see that you know the the server's getting millions of hits at that point. Uh, wow. and, you know, I think from my projects, I was calling you know a few hundred to a few thousand times a day, right? And it was suddenly getting these millions of hits uh, from these projects. And I thought, wow, I mean, it's great. They're using it a lot, but you know, now I need to upgrade the server. Uh, you know, it's going to start getting more expensive. I wonder if you know, people are using it millions of times a day, if they might consider paying for it. Uh, and my wife was like, hey, why don't you just go launch pay plans? And I was like, well, I don't know if it's worth you know, the effort of building out support for pay plans. I don't know if anybody's going to pay. And she said, well, just, just ship it and see what happens. Uh, and so I did. And very, very quickly, people started paying. Um, and you know, mm. the, the things have just kind of very organically evolved from there. And so, you know, we, we would add, you know, obviously refine pay plans a lot since then, refine the service. We've got lots of feedback from customers saying, Hey, you know, we love what's in your API right now. Could you help us with, it, with this other data set? And so you know, over many, many years, we've built out additional data sets. We've refined the data. We've improved the data. We put a lot of effort into the data sets. Um, like I said, initially, you know, I was just downloading what I could download on my server and just wrap an API around it. You know, since right. then, you know, we now got a whole data engineering team that are focused on building out your own proprietary data sets and improving the accuracy. But initially, you know, that was obvious, right? It was like, hey, it's it's an API, right? Um, and so, yeah, it evolved sort of very organic from there. But it was definitely no. Uh, I mean, I, I personally had a very clear problem, right? Like, hey, this sucks. The way that I'm doing it, mm. uh, I can make it easier for me. It could be easier for other people. I certainly didn't do this, you know, 
oh, here's a framework for how I'm thinking about you know, the market and, and how they might pay. It was just like, it, it felt very natural to be like, well, if someone wants to pay, you know, I would just charge them monthly. They're making requests. Uh, and, you know, our pricing models evolved. Um, but yeah, that was, that was how it all started. Makes sense. I love it. So it was kind of a mistake. I mean, you built it as a, as a project for yourself, posted it, it got traction, and then you turned it into, into a full-time project. Um, so yep. you, were, you were working on IP Info as a side project. You know, uh, while working at Calm, how much time were you really dedicating to this? And then, you know, uh, over time, what was your schedule like at Calm? And when did you decide eventually, look, I need to go all in and work full-time on IP, IP Info? What was the decision-making process there? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, initially, uh, you know, my, the time I spent on my info was fairly sporadic, right? You know, like I, I launched it over a weekend and then we'd spend some time posted on Stack Overflow, right? And that, that was kind of it. Um, and as it started getting more traction and then, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't work on it for a few months and it's like, oh, let's launch some paid plans. And so, you know, maybe evenings for a, for a week or two, I might, you know, start building integration, all that stuff. Um, but the, you know, but you know, my my job at Calm was pretty demanding as well, right? You know, I was, I was working a full time job, more than a full time job, right? It was an early stage startup, and so I was spending a lot of hours on Calm, um, and so I wasn't initially spending much time on IPinfo. Um, you know, there would be sprints where I did, you know, it's like, oh, hey, I want to ship this new feature, uh, but what that forced, you know, not having much time really forced me to be sort of super lean, right, and to really focus on what was important, and what was not. And I talked about you know the, the early days at Lightbox where I spent all that time making it horizontal or, or portrait and support for that. And it turns out like, you know, you can just hit a flag when you're building it and say, hey, lock this to portrait mode, save six months of, six months of work, right? That ended up mm-hmm. being, being irrelevant work in the end. And so taking that mindset and having limited time really, really forced me to say, hey, what actually matters, right? Um, and it's mm-hmm. like the people are paying us for an API that doesn't go down, that's low latency, that's reliable, mm-hmm. um, and just focusing on delivering on that by proposition. And so like nothing mm-hmm. else, we didn't even have anything else. So if people wanted to update their credit card, uh, so I didn't even have a user database initially, right? We had Stripe on the back end for billing. Um, and so there, there was just Stripe. I don't, you know, there was no user database. There was no nothing. And so if people would email me and say, I need to change my credit card, uh, you know, I would just like hmm. create a one-time link where they could go and it would show them a Stripe form and that would just go and update Stripe. You know, like me personally, I was the, the, the billing dashboard, you know, the account dashboard, all that stuff. You know, people said, hey, I need to debug some requests. I'd run and go and run a database query and email it to them. And so you're not much of my time was spent um, the, the time that I did spend was a lot was on sort of customer support and things, right? And so, but even that was, was you know, there wasn't much of that, right? There maybe a few, a few emails a week. And then what happened over time was, you know, more and more of my time would be spent on customer support. So I commute up from Mountain View up to San Francisco. I was at Carmen on the Cal train. It's about, uh, it's about an hour and a half maybe on the train. And so, you know, I would, uh, as, you know, as IPIMP was getting more demanding, I would, you know, I would always work on the train and so I'd get my laptop out. I would answer a few support emails, you know, and then, and then jump on with some work. And then it would get to the point where like, you know, over, over many months, I would get into San Francisco and I still hadn't answered all the support emails, right? And it's like, wow, there's even, you know, there's even more to go. Before it took me five minutes, then it'd be taking me all day. Um, and so, yeah, you know, at some point then, then I hired someone to help with support, which took that burden off. Um, but yeah, it got to the point where, and those, you know, those support emails were, some of them were business opportunities as well, right? People would email me and say, Hey, can I jump on a call? I want to, I want to buy an enterprise plan off you. And I'd be like, there's no enterprise plans. Just go into credit card on the, <laughs> the website. You know, I've, I've got no time to talk to you. Um, and so the, that was, that was like a really great constraint in those early days. So it's like, you know, that like, you know, so I've got, Hey, 10 hours a week and my spare time to spend on IP info. That's it. You know, there's no point going and building, building a whole billing dashboard. That's going to take me six months and it's probably going to be pretty lame at the end of it, right? Why don't I just say, hey, you got to need a billing issue? Send me an email. Um, and you know, if I get a few of those emails a month, like it, it's, it's a lot less time than, than I'd spend on other things. 
And so that, that kind of constraint was, was really helpful, I think, on us dialing in the, like, you know, what's actually important, what do people care about, getting that initial traction. But after, yeah, after a couple of years, it kind of got clear that, you know, all the support issues are coming on the way to the train. You know, and then the, um, you know, more and more requests from users, not just on, hey, can we, can we buy this off you? Hey, do you, you know, can we, we want higher volumes? Um, hey, you know, can you offer IP to company data sets? Can you, you know, this, we've noticed some issues with the, the geolocation accuracy here. Uh, and so it was clear to me at that point that, um, you know, there was, there's, there's not only an opportunity to do a lot more work here, there's an opportunity to like turn this into a real business, right? There's, there's enough need and demand out there. There's enough people finding us and coming to us. Um, but you know, cause initially I wasn't sure, Hey, yeah, this is a great side project, right? It's bringing in revenue. It's fun to work on and spend 10 hours a week on. But I thought that may be it, you know, that like how, how much can this, how, how big an opportunity can this be? But I think it was pretty clear after a while that, um, there was that opportunity there. I just had to choose, like, is this something that, that you know, I want to spend my time on and focus on? I was having a lot of fun on it. It was a really interesting problem space. Uh, I think we were in a good position. So at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, let's go go focus on this full time. Was there like a, a certain milestone or like whether, you know, number of users or dollar amount that like once you hit that, it's like, okay, I replaced my income and, and that was it? Or or was there something else that, that drove you to that? Was the customer support or what? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think you know, there, are, there are different things on different sites. So one thing was I really wanted to help Calm get to a point where you know, they had a really solid, really great app. And uh, and so I think after a couple of years, I kind of felt that I'd be leaving them in a really solid place. You know, that they their issues with you know the app crashing and you know, like they were they were left in a great place. Um, you know, they had a great team of engineers in place at that point. You know, and so I didn't feel you know, I. I not that my work there was done, but I kind of felt it, I'd be leaving a you know, natural kind of reflection point um, where all that kind of early work uh, had been kind of mostly wrapped up. Uh, mm-hmm. And then also IP Info was getting to a point where it, you know, it clearly needed more time and, time and attention, right? And I could have made the choice to be like, look, you know, this is all IP was going to do and it could have carried on to be a side project. But it was clear to me at that point that you know, there was an opportunity to, to really focus on it and do a lot more stuff. Um, and so I think it was, it was both of those, right? On the one side, it's like, well, you know, there's a bunch of important work to do at Calm. I felt I'd sort of wrapped a lot of that up and, and we're leaving that team in a really good place. And then it's on IP Info. You know, my, my list of like things I could maybe do someday, right? Uh, initially, it's like, well, you know, if I, if I had a free weekend, I could get through this list. Then it's like, well, you know, if I had a team of 10 people in two years, maybe we could get you know, half of this stuff done. But at that point, it was, it was like, okay, yeah, you know, this, this needs, needs some more time. Mm, got it. And where are you guys in terms of size today? What would you say has worked best in terms of leading to you know that successful growth so far? You mentioned you know getting on Substack. Any other ways where you know after that was there any other you know traction areas you you saw that real growth? Yeah. So uh, yeah, almost all of our initial growth I think came from your know, Stack Overflow, right? Where people, and I would I would spend a lot of time in my in, in the early, you know sitting on the train searching for like any Stack Overflow question about, hey, how do I get, you know, a user IP address in JavaScript? And I'd say, hey, you know, like I, I've just launched this API, right? It's free. It's really useful. Here's the code you could use, right? And, and you know, really spend time um, answering those questions. And that drove a lot of initial usage. Um, and then I would find that actually also helped drive product development because I would find questions, you know, initially it's like, okay, yeah, how do I get someone's IP location in PHP? And so I'd, you know, I'd go and answer that. But then I sort of answered all the questions around that, right? There were, there were no new ones to be answered. But then people would say, you know, how can I find out what the ISP is of an IP address? And I'd be like, hmm, that's, that's a really interesting question. I wonder, right? Like, is this something that we can go solve, right? Um, and then we'd go build that. Sometimes that was very easy. 
sometimes that might take, you know, six months of work. Um, but then would know, but I would know there was demand for it, right? I know that people were asking this question. Maybe there weren't good answers or the answers were, Hey, you know, here are the 15 steps where you can kind of go and do this. And it's like, well, you know, if I can make that one step, it's sort of like just call our API and you get the answer. Um, that would be helpful. And so that also sort of led some of our product development, uh, where it's like, Hey, this would be a fun problem to solve. I, I know that people find this useful. People are asking this question. And then we'd find a bunch of other, you know, related Stack Overflow questions and answer those. So that was that was a big initial driver. Um, after that, uh, I, I mean, and still to this day, right? We still, we still get a lot of traffic from from Stack Overflow. We've done um, a bunch of other things since then. So I think one thing that's been really effective for us, um, you know, one a big kind of industry that we're growing in and have grown in for a while is cybersecurity. Um, that was somewhat surprising for me, but one year I got a, I think, I had an email from two or three customers. Uh, all asking me like, Hey, you're going to be at, at Black Hat in Las Vegas this year, your big cybersecurity conference. And I had no plans to be, but like three, three customers, you know, and they're three of my larger customers all emailed me and asked. And I thought, well, even, you know, if we don't get a new business from it, you know, just to meet these three customers, say, Hey, to them, uh, it'll be, it'll be a worthwhile trip. You know, found, I think I found, you know, 10 other customers that were in a similar industry and emailed them and said, Hey, you're going to be there. And five were like, Hey, yeah, we'd love to meet. Um, and then went to Black Hat, you know, and just wore IP Info hoodie and had like three or four people come up to me and say, Hey, you know, I've seen IP Info, we'd love to use you. Um, and that's been, so it's been really great to, to, you know, sort of be, um, as you know, going to the conference, not like helped a little bit, but I think being part of that community where, you know, we met with customers and they're like, Oh, wow, you know, we love your API. It's great to put a face to it, you know, uh, and then some of those customers have become sort of advocates and, you know, introduced us to other companies that may be looking for a provider. Um, so that's been really useful. We've seen a lot of Twitter engagement um, for, for people in that sort of industry as well. So whether it's sort of like yeah. industries where they're small communities and they're happy to share and you know find a good solution, what you know, so that's been that's been a good driver for us as well. Super cool. Um, you know, so you've hit some kind of great growth here from from what you're saying. You know, fifty percent year over year. Why the decision to kind of uh, bootstrap and what was kind of the pro- thought process behind? You know, you built this from scratch and then, you know, started getting traction. You went full time. Why not at that point look for outside capital for, you know, kind of fueling that growth and, you know, hiring that team you needed to, to really accelerate it? Sure. Yeah. So I think some of that comes back to, um, you know, the, the history with Jomium and then Lightbox, right? And so with Jomium, we raised a, a, a very small amount of seed funding, but it sort of ran out after six months. Uh, and then we're like, well, hey, we're stuck. You know, we've got to go find contracting gigs, got to do something else. Um, now, could, had we have had longer, could we have maybe made something of it? Potentially, I also think had we have not of um, like what I what I wanted like one thing I'd done with IPinfo is not say, hey, I've got this new idea, I'm going to spend six months and see if we can make it successful or not, and then if not, got to go do something else. It's very organically like layering on top of each other, right? And so uh, that way, there's sort of like infinite runway, right? Then and the expectations can change as it evolves. Uh, there's no sort of like time boxing of like, okay, we've got, you know, let's raise some money. We've got 12 months to get to the traction level to here. Otherwise, you know, we've got to sell it or close it down or something. It's like, you know, we may say, hey, we want to get to here, ideally in 12 months. If it takes two years, fine. You know, if it takes four years, fine. Uh, if it takes six months, great. Um, and so, you know, I think being bootstrapped just gives us full freedom to sort of figure out what the right pace is for us, to figure out, you know, what markets we want to explore to figure out, um, at, you know, basically anything we want to, right? There's, there's no time pressure uh, or no external time pressure. There's no, um, you know, and then, so we've got complete control of our destiny. And so, you know, I, I, 
I, I, I think we probably won't, won't raise ever. I, mean, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out, but I think you know, we're, we're, we're bootstrapped, we're profitable at this point. Um, you know, we're growing at a, a pace we're, we're happy with. Um, and so you know, it's not clear to me that you know, uh, an injection of capital is necessarily going to change our trajectory. Uh, and so we're kind of yeah, pretty happy with, with how things are. So 50% year-over-year growth, I mean, that's, that's quite good. I mean, that's very respectable. That's, that's really nice. I mean, if it continues to that or if you guys find ways to continue to grow it, uh, yeah, I mean, there's all those pros and cons of raising versus bootstrapping. Um, any tips or suggestions maybe you could share for those in our audience? Maybe they're looking to bootstrap their next idea or they're also you know, contemplating the idea of raising capital because you've done both uh, you know, maybe pros and cons of each and, and any other tips for them. Yeah, so I think I mean the the the, the downside to bootstrapping obviously is like it just takes a lot longer, right? You know, this was a, a side project for many years um, without me spending much time on it. You know, and so you just have to be, I think, much more patient. Um, but I also think you know the the the, the bonus is you know, it just means you have to sort of like plant those seeds earlier. Um, you know, I've worked on a bunch of different side projects, many with with big ambitions for them that never became anything. You know, some with you know, like IP info, hey, this will be useful, but I don't know if it will be a business. Uh, and, and, you know, it turned out to be a, a great one. I think, you know, the knowing that, hey, this could take years before, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, it, it, it could be a business or, you know, could, could be generate revenue or whatever. And just kind of experimenting and, and, and doing a lot of different things, things you're interested in and saying, hey, you know, this could take, take many years. I mean, obviously the big benefit with raising capital is it kind of focuses you like, hey, I get to spend my full time on this for 12 months, two years, whatever the runway is. But that could be it. You know, at the end of two years, if we've not got certain milestones, you've got certain things, uh, we may have to start again from scratch. And so what I really like about the bootstrap thing is it kind of takes that starting from scratch off the table, right? It's like, well, hey, we may need to, you know, just, you know, we maybe we don't grow as well as we'd hope this year or over the next few years. But like, there's no starting from scratch, right? Like we just, you know, uh, get to take our time on it fix things that we think you're fixing um, and, you know, just play for the sort of the really long term. Make, makes sense. Yeah, I guess if you can afford kind of to build this over, you know, committing to it for a long term, then maybe, you know, bootstrap makes sense. But I think you know, a lot of people maybe think I need to go all in on this. They'll bootstrap it themselves, put everything in, um, you know, might, might all take longer than, than you actually think, right? Maybe it always does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's definitely the trade-off I think is, is you know, the sort of the, the, the time it takes. Uh, you know, I've, you see people raise money and then they can hire a bunch of really smart people and, you know, uh, and that definitely, I think, can increase your chances of making something successful, right? Um, but it yeah. also kind of ups the bar of, of, of where you need to get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd like to chat a little bit more about IP Info itself, um, the product. How are you guys kind of innovating the product? And you know, tell us, how does your technology stand out from any of the other IP data providers out there right now? Yeah, sure. So initially, you know, I talked about the, the background of IP Info, right? It was just like, hey, I downloaded some data set, wrapped it in an API. And so initially, that's all we were. You know, our whole innovation and our differentiator was, hey, if you want IP geolocation data anywhere else, you've either got to download a data set, you know, set it up on a server, or you've got to pay for an expensive, hard-to-use API. Um, and they weren't good options. And I went, hey, you know, let's make a free, really easy-to-use API um, that's quick and reliable. And so for the first few years, while this was a side project, that's where we innovated. That's where we kind of got our, got our foothold and where we, we got all our initial growth. Um, but then it was becoming clear that we would get feedback from people saying, but hey, your, your data, you know, you, you're saying I'm in you know, uh, San Francisco, but really I'm down in San Jose. You know, you're, can you fix this data for me? 
Uh, and mm. they're like, hey, this isn't our data, right? We just downloaded it. We're, we're an API provider. If you want to fix the data, you know, you can kind of go upstream. Um, but this happened again and again and again. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Actually, there's an opportunity here to, to fix the data and we're getting feedback about where the data, where, where some gaps are in the data. And so then we kind of went down a path of, okay, let's, let's just build out our whole, you know, our own data that, that's, you know, you know, really world-class, high-accuracy data. Um, so we stopped getting all this feedback about dead being broken. We can just kind of people be like, oh, wow, this is really great. The, the accuracy is really great. Um, and then we'll get feedback on other data sets as well, right? Hey, you know, you've, like I mentioned the, the ISP one, right? What's the ISP? What's the company? Uh, is this IP address a carrier or not? And so, you know, then we we thought, hey, instead of just being great at the API piece, um, and we were sort of established there, let's make sure we've got really great data and, and your world-class data as well. And so that we thought, oh, that should be easy. You know, it should be done in 12 months. That's been you know, a focus for, for many, many years now. Um, and it's, you know, it turns out to be a really hard problem, but it's been really fun and rewarding sort of solving that, that piece and, and making lots of progress there. And so you know, one key thing that differentiates us now is, yeah, we, we have the you know, really easy to use API, really developer-friendly, right? That's, that's our roots. It's like, hey, we're just solving problems for developers. Um, but now we also have um, really great data, you know, and a great data team that's, that's working on this. And so um, a differentiator between us and, and other companies as well is that you know, we have really great, highly accurate data. Um, we update it daily. Um, and we have a bunch of different data sets as well. So like I said, there's the geolocation. We do VPN detection, carrier detection. And so you, we're, we're really focused on what context can we give you around an IP address. Uh, and so yeah, I mentioned there's the cybersecurity industry where we're growing, but we do try and be sort of industry agnostic. You know, there are lots of different use cases. There's ad tech, there's marketing, there's website personalization, there's cybersecurity. And we you know, really try and get a lot of feedback from our users on the different ways that they're using it and try and make data sets that are useful across all of those. Um, and they tend to be sort of similar solutions. You know, the one thing we do is IP type detection. So we'll say, given this IP address, is it most likely to be from a hosting provider, you're an ISP, a business or educational institution? Different use cases, but the same data can be used for different use cases. So, uh, you know, someone that's using a marketing or ad tech may be like, hey, I just want to advertise to people. I don't want to show ads to any automation or whatever. And so they can use that data and say, hey, I want to filter out anything that's not an ISP. Um, but then, you know, a cybersecurity person uh, may have a use case of actually, I just want to look at everything that's from a hosting provider, right? Maybe that's riskier or there's something else. And so we try and work out what are these data sets that we can apply broadly to, you know, all IP address space that also apply to a broad set of use cases. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been, been a lot of fun. Hmm. And kind of just going specific on those different data sets and you, so you create, create a kind of world-class data that's updated daily, um, you know, kind of use cases specifically for say SaaS founders listening in, how can they use that to improve two things? One is what I hear, uh, you know, customer experience. And then also on the sales side, how are you increasing, you know, conversions from, from the quality of leads? If you can speak about those. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's lots of you on this. And so, you know, if we dive into the IP geolocation data set, so that is one where you, know, you give us an IP address and we'll tell you city level accuracy for this IP address. So you may say, hey, you know, this, this is someone visiting from Seattle. And so depending on your business and what you're doing, there are a bunch of different personalizations you could do with that. One could be a user experience improvement. So if there's anywhere, say, on your website that you're asking the user to give you a location, uh, you could kind of bypass that step. Uh, and so you could, you know, um, say you were a you know, travel industry and it was a flight booking app. You know, it, you could easily say, if I visited the website, it could say, hey, you know, here are the nearest flights from your know, SeaTac airport, say. Um, you know, if I was in the UK, the website could just say, you know, here are the nearest flights from, from Heathrow. 
uh, it'd be great to give the user a way to override that and say, well, actually, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to be flying from a different airport or, you know, um, maybe I'm on a VPN and, you know, it looks like I'm in London, but really I'm in Seattle. And so you, you may want to do something different there. Um, so it'd be great to give the user a, a way to override that. But lots of websites you go to, uh, if you go to the IKEA website, I think the first thing that pops up is what country you're in. You know, it's like, hey, I just wanted to order some furniture online. You know, they could use IP geolocation to say, hey, we know this guy's in the US, right? Let's just take him right there, start showing him some furniture. Um, you know, that would not only give the user a better experience, that would probably result in you know, more sales, less frustrated users, uh, and all these things. And so there's that you know, user experience where if you want to know something about the user's location, if you're going to ask them for something, you can just kind of skip that step and jump right into providing value for the user. That's one. Uh, another way you can do that is instead of personalizing the experience for the user, is using that information uh, to you know to help with marketing. So, for example, on a user sign-up form, uh, for everybody that signs up, you may want to get their location for our IPG location, and then you could say, "Hey, you, we had a sign-up from a user in Seattle, a user in London," and then you have various different things you could do with that, right? You may want to automatically send emails based on time of day. You know, if you say, hey, it's better for us to land in this person's inbox at 9 a.m. their local time rather than, you know, it'd be 4 a.m. or whatever, and then they're going to wake up and we're not going to be at the top of the inbox. And so you could use that, you know, we, we turn the time zone or API and you could you could do something based on that. You could also, uh, you know, maybe post-COVID when there's in-person events, you may want to email you know, all users in Seattle and say, hey, you know, uh, we're going to have an event. Uh, come, come meet up with us. You could also inform you know, where you might want to run events. If you notice that you had you know fifty signups in Seattle last week, but you know five in London, you may say, "Hey, let, you know, let's go do more in Seattle." Or maybe we need to be doing more in London to kind of increase the the number of users there. Um, so, yeah, lots lots of different things. Like that. I mean, even even sort of user invisible things. So one could be, uh, say, you were a book publisher, or you, you you know you're an author of a book and you wanted to sell your book. Uh, you may want to send you know, send the user to Amazon. But it's going to be a bad user experience if you know if someone in London goes to Amazon.com and then they've got to you know either ship it from the US or they've got to go switch to the UK. Yeah, it's a really simple personalization where it's like, hey, come buy my book, and that link just goes to the country specific Amazon, right? And you could just use the country location data there and say, hey, you know, if they're from the UK, let's send to Amazon.co.uk. If they're from the US, let's send to Amazon.com, and maybe there's a default that's you know go go buy them somewhere else if they're not in either of those countries. Makes sense. Yeah, I love it. Uh, personalization. I think that's where. A lot, lot of money in it for, for any marketer or any, any company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, IPinfo.io, guys, check that out if you guys want to try it out yourself. Uh, ben, kind of switching gears here to kind of the you know, rapid fire questions and a little bit more personal here. Um, yeah. What's one advice you wish you had known and would tell your, say, 25-year-old self just starting off your, your entrepreneur journey? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, at 25, what do I wish on at 25? Um, I guess... Take your time. I think you know, like I was really, I was around at twenty five when I jumped in Geomium and was like, "Hey, let's just, you know, let's just do this and and, and figure it out." Um, I think that's the lesson I learned over ten years and and you know, took part with IPinfo is, "Hey, there's no rush here, right? You got the rest of your life to work on this. Um, you know, you, you're kind of in this for the long haul. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint." Um, that's a lesson I learned over the last ten years. I think if I had known that at twenty five, although. On the flip side, it's hard to not be like really ambitious and want to get things done really fast when you're when you're 25. Um, but I think maybe that is like slow down, take the time. Uh, I think another one is is uh, you know the lesson I learned through Lightbox, where we'd spent six months building this and let's rotate it from landscape to portrait. Is like is what you're working on what the customer actually cares about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely turn that type in for as well, where it's like people actually don't care about a user dashboard, right? 
if someone wants to change their credit card, they're more than happy for me to just email them a link where they can go and do it. Um, it makes sense to build one at the point that you know you're inundated with emails and it's just you know hey let's just spend ten hours building this instead of ten hours a week answering those emails. But until you get to that point, you know users don't care. Users were, you know as long as you're delivering on what they actually care about, right? Which for us was hey a, a, a fast reliable API. And so I think you know it's very easy to get distracted and build things you think are important or things that other companies are doing. Um, whereas I think it's really important to try and nail that the, the key reason that someone would choose you. Mm, makes sense. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to grow or to continue to grow IP info? Meaning, you know, what keeps you up at night these days? Yeah. So I think some of the key challenges are as the organization gets bigger, they change. So you're with 15 people now. Uh, and so in some ways we've got a lot more firepower, you can get a lot more done, but then there's a lot more bottlenecks and a lot more, you know, communication and things that come with that. And so I think just the, the, and the challenges shift from being, hey, how do we build great data? You know, they're less sort of um, problem domain specific and more sort of scaling organization specific. And so, you know, how do we make sure that we're communicating effectively? How do we make sure that we're, you know, shipping the right things quickly? Um, and you have your higher expectations from customers around reliability. Uh, and so, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we take our where we're at in the world today, our customers, and use that as an asset? rather than it becoming a liability where it's like, okay, you know, we, now we have all these demands, all these things. Uh, and so, yeah, thinking around that. It makes sense. Ben, who or what would you say are the best three resources? It could be books, uh, people, maybe people you follow or mentors, who you say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years? Cool. I mean, I would say podcasts in general are a you know, huge, um, huge uh, source of, you know, wisdom, knowledge, um, you know, I'm always walking around with my, my AirPods in, listening to podcasts. Uh, I mean, they're, they're free to listen to, right? There's some, some amazing inspirational people on podcasts. Um, you know, I love listening to business leaders and, and people talking about, um, you know, how they scaled their company to thousands of people and, um, you know, how terrible things were in the early days. Um, and you know, how kind of things work out and, you know, all the, the missteps and the, you know, how they, how they corrected things. Uh, so I think podcasts are an amazing resource. Um, I think, you know, I just often just go on the podcast app, search for SaaS or founders or whatever. Um, there's lots of, lots of great content. So I think podcasts are one. Uh, books, I think obviously another incredible resource. Um, Shoe Dog is one that I read recently. Uh, you know, the, the, the founder of, of Nike. And what I loved about that one is he talks as well about, uh, I guess it's very, it's very, it's very easy. The, the story often when businesses are very successful is, you know, this was a surefire thing from day one that, you know, these guys are geniuses and what they're doing. I think it's very interesting going back to the early days of businesses and, you know, looking at Nike where they were getting sued, like they could have gone bankrupt, you know, like the whole thing was a total disaster. Um, and, you know, any one of five or six things would have changed. That's would have, would have been what happened, you know, but they, they kind of made it through that. Um, and that was, so that was a really inspiring story that, you know, even these, these great companies, uh, you know, uh, I think you've clearly, you know, lots of, um, business smarts behind Nike and lots of really great decisions. But even those businesses, you know, uh, chaotic in the early days, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of hard work. Um, and so I, I love, I love stories, stories like that and, and books that sort of cover that. Any, any favorite books you, other than that one, uh, or, or podcast that you, that you listen um, to? So one of, one of my, one of my favorite books, um, is called how to get rich. I read this many years ago. It's Felix Dennis, who I don't know if you, so he's a, 
He was a founder of Phoenix Publishing in the UK. And it's, it's really an autobiography. Um, and it's not really about getting rich. It's kind of about his life story. Um, it's more like why you wouldn't want to get rich. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the, the trials of his life. Um, but that was, that was pretty inspirational. I got to, to he did a, an event in London where he was reading some poetry uh, and got to get a signed copy from him, which was really cool. But that's, that's, a, that's an amazing book. Um, I know lots of people that are, that, I don't think it's that well known, but I know lots of people that, that have read it, that love it. There's lots of good wisdom in there. Uh, lots of interesting stuff. So yeah, I found that, that a pretty inspirational book. Cool. Cool. We'll add the, that link to our show notes for people to, to check out. Cool. Uh, ben, what does uh, success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, financially, business, life, no right answer. Yeah, cool. So I think, I mean, for, for me personally, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I guess being able to sort of live life on my terms, right? So I talk about the, when I was doing Jeremy, it's like, hey, I can, you know, work from wherever I want, whatever hours I want. And you know, I sort of set up info up that way. Um, you know, we're a remote team and, you know, all around the globe. And, and so, you know, that's, that's uh, I get to spend time with my kids and drop them off at school or whatever. And, and you know, uh, work late in the evening and, and work around that. And so that's, that's great. Uh, for the business, one thing I really want to do is, you know, make sure that we keep delighting our customers. You have that world-class data, really be the guys that, you know, have the expertise and the, the data and the know-how around IP address data and build a team that, you know, really like working here, um, that are proud to work here, make our customers happy, uh, and keep growing that. Cool. Love it. I uh, appreciate you jumping on SaaS District Show today, Ben. Uh, if you want to just wrap up here, kind of what are, you, what are your future plans for IP Info? And sorry, where can our audience get in touch with you to learn more about you? Sure. Yeah. So future plans, we're going to continue, you know, the, the main two threads of what we have, are, you know, continuing improving our data continue making it easier to access and, and, and use. Um, we have branched out as well away, away from, IP, not away, but in, including our IP address data into domain data, which was a, a very natural extension from us. And so we, we launched host.io, which is you know, basically IP info for domain data. Um, so both those places, you can check us out, ipinfo.io and, and host.io. Um, also on Twitter, ipinfo.io is our, our company Twitter account where we're, we're tweeting about some of the cool stuff that we're getting up to. Cool. We'll add those, those links to our show notes for people to, to check you guys out. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate you jumping on today. It was great chatting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.